Gotta eat that booty like groceries. Welcome to RC Heli Nation. I'm Nick once again, standing in for Dan, who sadly this week has taken a, uh, well, his regular Sunday trip back to the hospital. He's doing all right, still battling kind of some of this fluid in the lung stuff. Um, but he's doing his damnedest to get back to us. Uh, and uh, with me is the rest of the gang this week. We got Scott. Good evening, gentlemen. <laughs> we got Devin. Good evening, ladies. And, uh,. Speaking of, we got uh, Rob. All the going there, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Devin, so original. Oh. Yeah, Rob, you're welcome. Love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really came from down deep inside the the brains. <laughs> I just wanted to say, no. I just wanted to say gentlemen the wrong way, and it sounds funny when you say gentlemen. <laughs> it's like, that took a turn. <laughs> Take a turn. Some men. Oh. Not you, dirt magnet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's up, fellas? Did anybody do anything cool last week? I bet Scott did. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, I saw some photos. You did something cool. He had all kinds of grease or lube or something all over his hands in these pictures. Oh, KY jelly. Oh, yeah, I heard yeah. dirty jelly. <laughs> what? No, I finally started wrenching on my shit for once. Like I yeah. actually did helicopter things. Okay, can we make that? Can we make that? So show notes, Nick, in big bold capital letters. Scott worked on his shit. I did. Finally, yeah. <laughs> like so, I stripped my uh, N7 down. Oh my god, was it dirty? And I was sat there and did it with my kid. He was sitting beside me, and. I don't understand why, but toddlers are indeed dirt magnets. Mm, um, yes. And anytime I took something apart and there was a big, goopy, gray-black nitro sludge pile, like you get, you know, under the skids, in the motor, the back of the motor, all that stuff, his hands would whip from wherever they were right into that goop as fast as he could humanly do that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'd be like, no! And then, like, you know, try and clean off his hands. I'm like, your mom's going to kill you. He got it on his face. He started rubbing it all over the table. Mind you, I put a towel down on the table to protect it so my wife wouldn't kill me. Right. Why I worked on a nitro in the kitchen table, you ask? Because my garage is a shithole and I wanted to work inside. So started doing that for a couple hours. Kids filthy. Table's black. I'm just like, there's no winning. And every time I made a nice, neat pile of screws, if this little kid locked eyes with those screws, wow, he's like a oh, yeah. cobra. Just grabs him, and he, he's trying to help. It's the cutest thing ever. Like anything that looks out of place, he grabs it, and then he goes ah that, and like hands it to me. But you know, he's dropping washers and shit, and like things all over the place. And you got to not be a bad father. So 
you're like, oh, thanks, you know, I really appreciate it kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, be nice to them. Inside, <laughs> your OCD is just on fucking fire because, <laughs> yeah. like, your laid out screws are now completely mixed up in, in a toddler hand and you don't know where they went. And, oh, well. <laughs> so I got diapers for fucking grommets and screws oh, and shit for the next week. It's so bad. But we got through stripping the airframe. I got the engine out, I got the pipe off, cleaned everything up, took the servos out, and then hung the airframe back up. I had these grand ambitions that Sunday night I might have a working 90 size nitro built. Um I have a box of parts and now an engine sitting on the table. <laughs> hey, it's close. That's progress. <laughs> It's progress. But, oh, that too. I don't have a Neo. We're all very familiar that I'm an idiot and I took all my Neos out of my helicopters and sold them in pure excitement for the Evo coming out because yep. the new thing, it's shiny and I want it. So I haven't flown basically since Brandon Cooper took his, his Neo, which, mind you, has been long enough for him to take it, lose it, and then refind it when he details his car three or four months later. It's <laughs> yeah. just comical. So it's been a little while. So I had one on pre-order. They're almost ready to ship. But it's my wife's birthday. And she really wanted a pair of AirPods. Those new ones. Yeah. So I had all these like gift cards from doing well at work. I had like 400 bucks in Amazon cash, right? And I was like, no problem. I'll blow 400 bucks on her birthday. It'll be great. It'll be a lot of money spent on her. And it was like, essentially free for me because it's just you know bonus stuff with work so mm -hmm. i go on there a couple days before her birthday and i was like dude, dude i feel like i'm being a total badass husband nothing arrives until like a week after her birthday oh, like in the no. estimated arrival times and i'm like fuck what am i gonna do like i screwed up i left it to the last minute because that's what people do yeah i yeah. thought i was being prepared doing it like four days earlier and in my mind apple product amazon you know, same day delivery kind of shit right, like that's right. what I thought not even close so <laughs> I had to literally go and email Mikado USA and beg them to cancel my order <laughs> send me my money back which took two days so this is her birthday that the money comes back in my account and then I go to the Apple store and buy her some stupid headphones <laughs> oh, meanwhile man. I've given up my place in line and now I don't have a Neo so now today I'm posting on the hangout. I'm like, does anybody have an Evo for sale? Like 300 bucks or 350? I don't care. Just I need it for spring fling. Dude, that's <laughs> quite the husband adventure, dude. You killed oh. it there. It sucks you had the sacrifice, but you totally killed it because your wife got what she needed on her. Yeah. I think I'd rather sit and not fly anything and just hang out with my friends at spring fling than disappoint my wife. So that a boy. Yeah. Definitely the right decision, but God, it just it hurts. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, of course, everyone's being super nice and they're like, oh, I've got an original V bar and I've got a Neo and this and that. And I'm like, thanks. It's just, I feel like it's insult to injury for me to sell all my shit and then buy another one when I could spend that money on an E. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I just, yeah. it's the principle of it. I'm not buying another V Link, regular Neo. I'm buying an Evo, period. If I can't get one, I won't fly one. No. <laughs> I'm not going to admit that I'm stupid and I messed up and I shouldn't have sold them that early. <laughs> you just did, buddy. <laughs> That's okay, though, man. Shit happens. You'll get your, you'll get so your someone, someone said, uh, I think Josh said, no balls, do, do no bar, like no flight yeah. controller. No bar. 
honestly, that sounds more appealing than putting a regular Neo on it just because I don't want to admit failure and buy another Neo. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so if you see me Dude, at Spring Flame with a helicopter and there's not an Evo on it, fucking duck. Because <laughs> there ain't no flight controller in that bitch, and nope. she's gonna be wild. It's all thumbs, baby. <laughs> I've got oh, one I can yeah, pull dude. out of an airframe that I'm not using right now, and just loan it to you until you're like, get your Evo. So I do really appreciate that, and it's very tempting. But uh, my buddy Cliff Lewis already messaged me that, and he was actually gonna throw it in the mail today and ship it to me. And I was like, no, don't, don't go through that effort. I'll grab it from, from you like Thursday or Friday at Spring Fling. I'll set it up there. No big deal. Don't spend money on shipping. And he's like, are you sure? I don't mind. So, yeah, super cool, dude. That that field, man, that's cool. Yeah. So, obviously, you know, you said the same thing. So, you're equally as cool. You know, equally as cool with a little bit more hair. But Dude, I'm yeah. way cooler than Cliff Lewis. What are you talking about? Nah, yeah. dude. Are you on stickers and t-shirts and shit? <laughs> oh, that's true. I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did your camp gear end up in the middle of the lake in extravaganza? No. Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll, I'll give Just it to saying. you, Cliff. You got me beat. Yep. He's, he's quite the G, man. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome of him to do that, dude. So you can get back in air and fly some more Mikado goodness until you can buy the Evo. Yeah, well, I'm just going to borrow for the event and, you know, I'll give it back Saturday and then I'll wait. It can't be that long before we get Evos. And if it is, fuck it. I'm buying one from Europe. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> mom's the word yeah mom's you the word buy one from europe now like it's totally legal to buy one from europe now oh yeah because it's Same through fcc i'm just trying to do yeah, that and just pay 400 bucks or some shit and ship trying to do that <laughs> yeah pay through the nose for shipping but uh yeah so i'm getting the bug again for for heli stuff i do love rc car stuff but i am losing interest in it a little bit now that the weather's getting better and i'm watching more flight videos and i'm getting the itch for it i think Maybe there's a silver lining to selling my Neos that because I haven't, I can't fly, I want to fly. Like it's, it's like yeah. eating away at me. I gave my simulator away to a buddy of mine here locally and I'm even like chomping at the bit to sim or something. So I'm literally tonight going to go buy another copy of Real Flight just to get the radio and start simming again because I just, I want to fly some shit. I'm like ready. to do it. Yeah. We're back in this shit. Yeah, the bug bites hard, man, and when it gets you, it's, you got you to get yeah. some stick time now, for sure. It got man. me. And so if anyone wants to buy a shit ton of RC cars, hit me up. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll trade me. for Neos. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, that's all I got. Anybody else got anything fun? Well, I'll go next. But I didn't do anything cool. I have a... I think this is the first time this happens to me. Two consecutive no-flies. <laughs> no, no fly. no fly. Yeah, I was I was just gone most of you know last week. So uh, I was in San Antonio until yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. So I was pretty much out of town the whole week. So uh, no chance to fly in Texas. Didn't do any wrenching. Uh, just you know, it's just kind of about work again. I mean, you just get this feeling that like your skills are going backwards. That like you haven't flown enough, and you're you're not retaining things, and you're not simming. And uh, yeah, so kind of, you know, dying to get back out there, you know, so no progress on the nitro, no progress other than I gave up my motor. <laughs> uh, one of the guys in the club uh, blew up his 105 and was desperately trying to get it fixed. So uh, he owes me a new engine. So <laughs> I'll get one of those. 
But uh, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes life just happens, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. Hopefully when coming back, I am home this week uh, for a little while before I have like five consecutive weeks of travel, which is going to suck. But I had a birthday last week and I used that to my advantage with the wife and told her that the only thing I wanted for my birthday was a sunrise to sunset flying day and so she said all right tell me the day we'll make it happen so wednesday i'm going flying with the boys here in atlanta and we're just gonna fly all damn day uh so hell yeah set up a tent pack a lunch bring some drinks thank you and uh just fly all damn day so hopefully by the end of the day i'll at least be back to where i was but yeah that's kind of it for me man hey nick other than i think oh go ahead rob you go first you're old Shut up. <laughs> I don't deny that. Yeah. Happy birthday, brother. That's cool. And that's cool that you get to have a whole day. It's like your birthday present day of flying and shit. Fuck yeah. Hope you don't crash yeah. nothing. Knock wood. I don't think you will. I don't care if you I know. do. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. shit. It's going to happen then. Now, now We're going to get a great video. I'm just saying. I just want a day at the field. If, if I crash, so be it. Obviously, I don't want to. But if it happens and I still get a day at the field with my buddies, like, you know. Yeah. It's still fun. So be it. And I think I'm going to sell the Logo 700 airframe. I think I'm going to pull the electronics from it and sell the Logo, which I haven't done and I haven't taken pictures and I haven't listed it yet, but I'm just... How are you doing? I need a 700 size electric that... And you're going to laugh when you hear this, but that I'm not afraid to auto. And the, oh the truth is, is, is that I know, right? It's supposed to be easy to auto, but I touch the tail a lot when I auto still. And... On my belted helis, it just doesn't matter. The worst that happens is the tail blades get a little torn up. Uh, on the logo, it's a problem. So until I fix that issue, I think I might let the logo go. I'll give you five mini Zs for it. What is a oh, mini Zs? No, I don't want any cars. God damn it. I want cash because I want to put it towards a different airframe. What airframe? I'm not entirely sure yet. I want to wait a little bit, but I really enjoyed our conversation with the guys at Tron. and. Yeah. Like they made a great impression on me. I, you know, a lot of my friends are, are loving the Tron 7.0s. I'm curious about the dynamic, what that's going to be like. And what I really need is a two bladed electric that I can just that keep entirely stock, no customizations, and just auto, 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 and have fun with and not worry. You know, the three blade, I worry about crashing too much. The logo, I'm. After going through everything I went through with the torque tube and all of that, I just, you know, I want something a little uh, more robust. I see. But I'm trying to stay cash neutral right now, so I got to sell the logo, and I'm, you know, maybe one other heli in order to get the funds, but I can just pull the electronics and throw them right in a Tron, so I think that's what I'm leaning towards. Oh, cool. But first I got to get off my, my butt and get the logo listed, and then I actually have to be home to ship it to somebody who buys it, so there's that. That's true. That's true. But, uh, oh, that's all I got, except for one thing. I have a ton of work travel coming up. And the one thing I'm curious about is I actually have two projects overseas in Europe coming up. And I'll be in Malaga, Spain, uh, and then Prague in the Czech Republic. And I'm just curious if there's any super cool hobby shit. So if we have any European listeners, which I know we do, and they're like, oh, you're in Malaga, Spain, you should go to X, or you're in you know, Prague, you should go to Y. Uh, let me know any cool hobby stuff over there uh, to check out. Let me know. And uh, that's all I got, man. What about, uh, what about you, Robert Devon? What's cooking? Uh, chicken. 
Um, now, uh, I had a very good weekend. I went flying. Yay! That was, thank you for the enthusiasm, Rob. You're welcome. Sorry, I'm late. Yay! <laughs> there, there you go. That's more what I was expecting. Um, no, so yesterday, Sunday, it was raining Saturday. I went down to Jackson, New Jersey, by, right by Six Flags, and went to the flying field down there. We saw a bunch of, a bunch of the guys and got a couple of flights on the Flash and my Oxy-5, per, getting prepared for spring fling, doing some tuning flights, and then just having a good time. And I'm going to, this is going to be interesting, a heli did crash with the radio in my hands. Oh. oh, was Uh-oh. it yours? No. It was a. Was it your dad's? <laughs> no. Was it a gasser? No. Oh. It was, was the owner idea. upset? <laughs> no. The owner was not upset, and it was not my fault. Oh, was there a mid oh. collision? No, it was not my fault. Um, so no, I, was I, flying, I, I was flying a friend of mine's uh, miniature aircraft uh, Nitro, the 700. And he really likes running switches, and they're oh. not the solid state switches or the soft the soft start switches or anything like that. It's just a hard. Ooh. And um, so while I was flying, um, the high voltage lead, the the main battery lead, goes to the switch, and it kind the solder kind of broke off the switch, and yeah, so it was, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Ooh. It was more. It was watching the heli do some interesting stuff. I will say, I give him props because I don't run return springs, but he did. And the return spring pulled the uh, throttle back to idle and did not blow up the 105, which was running minty fresh, nice. which is okay. I know what Scott's going to say, though. So I know. We all yeah. know what Scott's no going to say. story there. Listen, yeah. how boring the story just it got. Did, it, did, it did chicken dance for like a couple seconds. I will give it that. Mm. Okay. It twist. It, it turned the blades into a nice little bow tie of strands of carbon and fiberglass and foam. It was pretty cool. Was it making a wig? Yeah, yeah. We actually had a hard a time wig. getting the blade. <laughs> we had a hard time getting the blades out of the grips. Right, it's all tied up in a knot. <laughs> yeah, the safety wires wrapped around everything. Oh, damn. So um, wow. it wasn't that bad. It was not a bad crash. It was main blades, grip arms, a landing gear, and I think a tail boom, and that was it. So pretty, pretty mild not bad crash. Considering the core is all fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, I, I, I mean, I really confused. It was a friend of mine who I was flying, and I was tuning it, and um, he got really confused before that because before the heli even hit the ground, I turned around and I'm like, "Yep, it's going in. It's all over." It was already, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was still in the air, and. uh and falling and everything, and I handed back, I turned back, handed him the radio, I'm like, lost connection, and he looks at the radio, looks like, at what? the heli, looks at oh, the radio, shit. looks at the heli, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. and then, so, but it wasn't that bad, so I give him, he was happy, he says he would rather have that happen in my hands than his hands, because he would be devastated, so. Well, I'm just glad it didn't head towards you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I was, I got very, how can I say besides like lucky because I was like very neutral on the pitch and everything when it happens and wasn't doing anything super crazy. So it kind of just fell straight. Yeah. I could imagine Which, if you were like two thirds into a Piro flip or something and you lost power, all them servers would have just stayed right there at that position. Oof. 
Yeah, or it's, you know, if it's heading in a certain direction, it, it tends to keep going in that direction. Right, right, just uh, sliding that, across that, the air. That's its way, but this I was kind of stationary doing something slow, kind of letting the heli hang, and then I lost it. It did a really cool funnel, and then while pirouetting, because I didn't have control anymore, and then hit the ground. And um, chicken dance for like five seconds, and then the throttle linkage broke, uh, so the spring pulled the throttle back and killed the engine, which was all good and dandy. And wasn't too bad. Pretty, pretty tough helicopter, I give it. It is heavy, and it flies heavy, but it's tough. So that's always good news. But I got some good flights on my Flash and some good flights on the Oxy 5 HF, which I am feeling real good right now with. Feeling really, really, really good with that heli. So loving the feel of the V-Bar Evo. That's feeling pretty good. Yeah, nice. getting that dialed in. I'll give you yeah. $500 for that, that V-Bar. No, 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 no. And uh, so the V-Bar Evo's feeling really good. I was doing some tuning and some flights because it does feel not majorly different, but there is a difference that I can pinpoint that is very specific that you have to get used to when flying the Evo. At least that I think I felt. I'm pretty sure I felt it. So I was getting used to that, and I got like four or five flights on it and flying really good, loving that machine. Didn't turn the head speed back up yet, keeping it cool until we get to spring fling. Don't want to go crazy because then I might go crazy and smack the ground. So keeping it docile. Yeah. Only only 2,500 on the head, nothing crazy. That still seems crazy. Maybe not. Uh, yeah. No, nah, it's, it's, it's pretty mild. It's not mild. crazy, but it's, it's high. Uh, it's up there, yeah. I, that's just me saying because I've never flown anything bigger than six hundred, so I don't know. I guess it. Well, I, hang on. What, I did what size? It, what size hell are you running? Twenty twenty five. Uh, six twenty five. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's fine. Yeah. N- normally that's at three thousand though. Yeah, yeah. I used to like like twenty seven was when they really came alive. Yeah, yeah. So twenty five was was feeling okay the my issue with it was is the way that i have the heli set up it's really set up for head speed i have the tail ratio is really all it's under driven pretty hard to get the head speed where i want it for the head and those high numbers so even at 2500 i was blowing the tail out if i got in the pitch because i run a little bit more pitch than i probably right. should but i like it so, so you kind of got to let that loose as a goose tail ride until you get that head speed back up, I suppose, huh? Well, it's not it's not loose because the um, I don't think the heli feels great. It's I just I put a, a pulley in the tail that I when I did the calculations for it was like twenty seven hundred is when the tail was starting to get back into its speed of where it should be. Yeah, yeah. So. It's just it's just the nature of building a heli for head speed. You you give up all the low the low head speed performance of the tail and everything like that. It's just the way it goes. Yep, so, yeah. So it there's nothing wrong with the heli. It's my setup. It's the way I like it. So I'll turn it I'll just turn it back up. That problem will go away. Yeah, word. But the V bar Evo, I give it props. It's feels really good. You yeah. guys are gonna love it. Um the tail is monstrously better than the, the Neo ever was. 
Oh, so, really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, the, the tail feels great on the Evo. So good. It stops when you want it to. It Damn. starts when you want it to. We don't... I. I haven't gotten any drifting out of the tail because I know that has happened. That does happen with Neos where you get some drift. Feels great. And the cyclic is just, since I'm running the 760, is just a little bit more snappier, I could say, around certain points with the servos. So that feels great as well. And um, really liking it. And uh, the flash flew amazing. I turned up the head speed a little bit more. It's, I think it's up to 2000 again now. So that's flying great. Got a bunch of flights on that. Got that tuned in. And um, just a great weekend of flying. I mean, it was like, I think it was like 60-something degrees here in New Jersey uh, yesterday. So it's going to be awesome. I'm word. super pumped for Spring Fling. Is That's Spring Fling this weekend or the one after? No, it's the weekend of the 28th. So not this weekend, the okay, one after. Okay, so two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I'm super pumped. I'm ready for that. Just keep on keep on trucking and uh wait for next week yeah that's cool so you got all kinds of like some of the nerdy side of the hobby all the tuning and tweaking and uh getting things dialed in and stuff like that sometimes you got to do that chore and that's pretty cool yeah yep yep i really like the um i was messing with some of the different screens on the evo now so that was pretty cool seeing what some of those newer features do yeah learn your way around and stuff yeah, so just trying to get, I'll mess with it. When I'm at Spring Fling and I'm there just to fly, I'm going to go really deep and dive into it and actually try to get a feel difference. But for right now, I'm just trying to, just going to get the heli to the way I like it. And then I'll toy around with, what does this do? Yeah, yeah. So, but great weekend. Love it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when uh, you and Scott both have a bunch of time on one and we can maybe do a tuning episode with it. and uh hear more about it i'm definitely gonna start getting more time on it now i mean the weather has taken the weirdest turn here in jersey it's yeah the weird i mean three weeks ago it was like 20 degrees and now we're consistently like ranging from the 60s to the 80s it's really weird and yeah, like uh, unseasonably warm yeah like i think on this week on friday where it's supposed to be 86 degrees here in jersey Damn. Like, like summer weather. Damn, that's crazy. That's really Yeah, weird. it's it's really weird. I mean, this time of year, we're used to starting to get into the 50s and 60s where, you know, it's getting comfortable to be outside with, like, a light just flannel or something, you know, just a light jacket. But, like, even, like, last week on Friday uh, when I was at work, I was at work. It was 92 degrees here. I was not ready for that. I was working outside right. all day, and it was just blisteringly hot. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, your body's not even acclimated to something like that yet. Oh, yeah. For sure. But I rest my case. It's good weather, so I get to go flying and get more time on my helis. So it's all good. Yeah. So, but awesome week. Had a great time. Rob, did, what about That's you? Awesome. Rob, um, I got you? to do some stuff. I saw your um, video. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. You I'm fucking crazy. I was um, waiting for you to re uh, refern like redo your cabinets or something yeah like re-kit the heli and then yeah. give myself a reason to redo the cupboards yeah. yeah no hell no dude no bar is i don't know i like no bar and um so I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second talk about the md500 but 
that was really kind of the highlight of my week. I just spent a bunch of time in the overnights, like while I'm working on downtime or on break and stuff like that. Just fucking around with this uh, scale build, um, this little Gowie 200 scale build. I got the, I cut, well, last week, I think, or the week before I got the tail. It has this different tail boom with this um, secondary shaft that moves the belt upwards, like, and the whole tail upwards, like, probably two inches or so. So you got to set that all up and get the tensions right and get the um, uh, the boom in, in through the uh, fuselage and stuff like that so it fits and so it's up higher and stuff, so. I got some tuning on that before I put the fuselage on it and made sure that all the controls work and um, all of that. I talked about that a little bit on the last episode, but then I got the, um, started putting the fuselage in there. I, um, I I'd said before, I just want to build this with just parts I have on hand and just ingenuity. Got to MacGyver some shit. Like my tail servo, I just made a, a kind of a mount and um, uh, because where it's supposed to go, there's this mount where the servo will go, and it hangs in this weird position that's really hard to fit in the fuse, right? And in me trying to modify the way that fits, I broke the, the tabs off the servo, so I can't screw the servo onto that mount anymore. So I'm like, fuck, now what? I don't want to order a new servo or anything. So I just came up with this other mount and just kind of solid state mounted the servo onto this little carbon fiber plate, and I mounted that to the back of the heli the back part of the frame there so it's roughly in the same spot and then set up my 90 on the servo against the the arm and all that and tuned it up and it works fine it works great um so um that now it fits in the fuselage much better and then i went to the dollar store and picked up some epoxy so that i could uh epoxy these landing gear into the bottom of the fuselage and i had to dremel out some holes in the bottom some slots to fit uh, these oxy two skids in there and, you know, the Oxy-2 has a kind of a rake, a pretty heavy rake when it sits down, you know, but that rake actually worked out perfect on these skids because the bottom of the MD-500 fuselage kind of, it tapers upwards near the back, like where the, in the real life, where the exhaust for the turbine would be. So those back legs that are taller just kind of climb up the back of the fuselage and go right in, you know, so now it sits perfectly level. Uh, but the back skid is higher than the front skid, you know, because it's up on the fuselage. And they're not MD500 scale skids, but I had scale skids for this way back when, but this fuselage has been through a couple of crashes. So there's some road rash on it, and I I don't even know where the skids went, but Gowie's design back then was really kind of cheesy. It was this little balsa block with these little tiny, really fat, basically fat toothpicks that went into this little plastic skid arm. And then you use like maybe T-Rex 450 size, a little smaller than T-Rex 450 size aluminum skids in those arms. But it was just such a janky puzzle that even once I put it together, I'm like, this is more like a model, like an on-the-shelf model. It's like, if I land hard on these, they'll break. And of course they did back then. And so I ended up, I don't know, I don't know where they're at. But these skids here, these Oxy-2 skids, epoxied into the frame. I mean, I could land, I could land relatively hard on those but they're locked in so if i ever crash on this beast it's over you know this helicopter is not the the frame is if i crash the skid it's going to tear the bottom of the frame the bottom of the fuselage off right but i'm not going for perfection on this thing it's intentionally supposed to be kind of like a jalopy i'm just putting together the used parts that i had before making sure everything works correctly you know what i'm saying but i'm not trying to win like a, a beauty contest or anything there's fucking electrical tape on the tail shaft um on the on the fuselage where there's this really 
dirty looking crack and I just put a nice strip of black and at a distance you can't see the tape really but if you get up close you're like oh I see that but the point is it's supposed to be a jalopy so the the bird is called the Gowie 200 MD 500 no bar jalopy zombie resurrection bill right because Jesus Christ I know <laughs> I know right but uh it flies. I actually, uh, Devin, you mentioned that video. I um, I'd had done a maiden on the frame, and so I knew that it would get airborne. I'm uh, using these uh, Oxy2 190 mil blades, which are shorter than the Gowie 200 blades, and the cord is thinner, so I have not nearly as much lift as I would have had before. But with all this weight, the motor couldn't really handle. When I flew it before, the motor would just, I'd nearly cook the motor trying to fly it with the other 3D blades. So I'm like, I'm going for this. And so I put the fuselage in there and I fly it. And I tell you what, like you guys have all probably seen like the uh, June bugs flying around, big fat ass portly bugs. And yeah, they fly, but they don't really do much, but just fly in a line and then fall out of the air or bounce off of something, right? This thing is portly as hell in the air, right? So, you know, I know I'm flying at no bar and it, when I had it out of the fuselage, it's kind of scary. <laughs> To fly a 200 with no fly barless unit inside it because it's really light and, you know, just small movements. And I don't have any expo or dual rate set up yet. Uh, so really, it's all thumbs, of course, right? And so any small movement is like sets your disc off, off angle. And the weird thing about flying no bar is that unlike with a fly barless controller, when you put that disc on an angle and just if you briefly let go of the sticks on a fly barless controller, all the gyros are going to hold the servos there to keep the, the, the fly barless unit at that same orientation, right? So it's actually feeding input onto the servos actively while you're not touching the stick to hold that position. But when you're flying no bar, you put it at angle like that, all of a sudden it's all disc load then. And so the, ironically, the heli will start to roll down into the angle farther unless you put that counteractive uh, input back onto the stick ever so slightly to hold the angle and then more to get you back to level so it's really hard to do really much off angle work even just sitting still you know so yeah i got the huffer in the kitchen right but it was dicey uh, the fuselage makes all that all those dynamics a little bit slower and easier to respond to right so i wasn't worried about uh thrashing my kitchen up you know what i'm saying this little June bug would have just kind of bounced to the side and I would have just killed it and it would have just slid into the wall or something like that. And it would have lost all its energy before it got there or whatever. But it's a jalopy, so it probably just things would have fell off of it and whatever. And it would have been kind of funny, but it didn't happen. You know, I'm not trying to fly this thing hard. Probably when it gets a little nicer, I'll take it outside and try and hover, you know, do some hovering and try and do some small circuits with it and this and that, you know. And the no bar thing is just more to prove to myself that I can still fly at no bar because. Um, I don't know, a lot of our new listeners might not know this, and I say it at the end of every episode, go check out my YouTube channel, but I got a bazillion videos from way back, 10, 12 years ago, right? And there was a whole build series on this Gowie 200, and it flew no bar from the start, you know? So if you think I'm crazy, and you're just wild, you want to check out some more of that, go look on my channel. There's more no bar content. There's me fly trying to fly 3D no bar in my front yard at work, you know, on this bird when it was in a 3D form. So I'm not scared of no bar. I saw some people posting on my YouTube video. They're like, that's crazy. You know, there could, a lot of shit could have happened. I was like, yeah, it could, but you don't know me. I've been flying no bar for a decade. I've been trying it. You know what I'm saying? So that was a lot of fun. You know, it's more of the, uh, it's most of the time with this one has been just sitting at the bench, figuring out how do I get this, uh, 
part to fit when I don't have the piece that came with the model. Like there used to be this block that goes under the frame, the space between the frame and the bottom of the fuselage. And where the canopy posts are, Gowie conveniently set up the fuselage so that you could use those posts and put in some screws to hold it at the top. But so I needed something at the bottom and, you know, just kept it super simple. And, you know, I just went down in my basement. I got this bevy of cardboard boxes and uh, random pieces of various thicknesses of foam and densities and stuff. So I just grabbed this piece of foam at the right thickness and I got that under there. And it's now kind of a almost like a damper between the frame and the fuselage there. And it's sufficient and it works, you know. And uh, So uh, stay tuned for some more antics with my little Gowie 200 no bar zombie jalopy resurrection rebuild thing here and hopefully i don't destroy it before i can get a few circuits around outside and i think after i fly it a few times i'll probably park it on the on my um you know on my wall or you know on a shelf or something like that and just leave it as is you know as like a shelf queen you know what i'm saying but yeah so that was my week you know um a little building a little modeling a little experimental things and um it was a good time had fun. I flew the other ones outside too during the week. I mean, I got to, I put some time on my T-Rex 500 and my Gowie X5 in the backyard. And since I'm still not comfortable to do like multiple tricks and string them together kind of close, for me, close would be like, you know, 30 feet out and maybe 20 feet up, 20, 30 feet up just in this area like this, if you could draw a brick around you, you know, and that's basically where my backyard would be, right? But it's a little close and dense in there. So I still fly over my back lot up above the trees. Um, and that, that fits where I fly out if I go to another flying field. I still fly out and out away from myself. So I've had room. You know, I can do, I've been practicing, you know, some of my hard sport up there up high. Um, doing uh, that, uh, that the U kind of maneuver, kind of like they do in FAI where you go up and you just kind of do like maybe a slow roll or a slow period, try to keep it on, on, the, on the line and then come back down and just practice those kinds of things. and try to do as as many super fast big power like loops as i can i i don't know why i almost called them power loops probably because i'm coming back in from the drone world but um you know the weather Devin, you mentioned the weather has uh, kind of been unusual for you so i had said at the end of the last episode that the weather is getting nice and i'm super excited and i was able to get out kind of during the beginning of the week and the middle of the week and stuff but long about i it must have been like Thursday or something like that. The weather started dropping. It started raining. And then I'm not shitting you. We had a combination of rain, sleet, and snow all at the same time for a few hours. And then I went to bed and I woke up and there was like an inch and a half of snow on the ground everywhere. Uh, the, enough for the plow to come through and shit like that. I had to shovel again. I'm like, seriously? And so now everything's covered in snow and I'm waiting for the snow to melt again. Like, what the fuck? So hopefully that hopefully that won't happen again, and I'll just start to have contiguous weeks of nice weather. Hopefully it just keeps going up from there because I'm fucking sick and tired of the snow. I tell you what. All right, feel compelled to say that RC Heli Nation does not condone in any way maidening a helicopter in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was a small helicopter, so it's not like I'm trying to fly a 500 in the kitchen or anything like that. This is a 200 class helicopter, so yeah, it was it was fun. I'm just saying there's shopping bags in kitchens. There's what? There's what? There's shopping bags in kitchens. Have you not seen that very famous indoor flying oh, video? Yes, yes, I have <laughs> seen that. Yeah. 
Yeah, what you didn't see was me setting up that room to make sure there wasn't any errant flying things or animals available or anything like that. So, yeah, I did my due diligence. All right. Anybody else uh, got anything exciting before we dig into some news? Well, all right. Let's do some news. Hey, I'm going to have some news. 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 going twice. News sold. Today is April 17th, and I've not seen any posts about that which shall not be named. So that's all I'm going to not say about that, other than to say that I hope I get a shipping notification for that which shall not be named before this episode airs on Friday-ish. But we can't (laughs) talk about that, so I won't. All right. Uh, In other news, we've seen some videos that have been published of the miniature aircraft Interceptor 600 size gasser. So there is a flying uh, version of it out there in the world. I know we've kind of seen some renders and then some photos, but now we're starting to see some flight videos. Uh, So Cade Sirapampa, and did I get that pronunciation right? Does anyone know how you say his last name? I think that's close. All right, we're going to go with that. Sorry if I got it wrong. I was seen flying it at a recent event, and it certainly does seem to fly well. Most noticeably to me was the sound of that OS gas engine uh, does not seem to be quite as offensive as other gas-powered helicopters, uh, a model with that engine in it. It sounds like a nitro. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely sounds more nitro nitro than gasser. So that was impressive to me, and not horrible. I actually managed to make it through that flight video. But uh, speaking of the sound of gassers, uh, the one and only Doug Darby has been singing the praises of a new pipe from his friends at QuickDraw. This new pipe meant for gassers uh, maintains the same performance of the previous version, but it does lower the dB levels somewhat. Now, this is just a prototype that Doug's helping test, but uh, it's a little bit quieter than its predecessor. So there's a video you can check out. It's on YouTube. If you search for Alex Dean, his YouTube channel uh, has it. But uh, fortunately, I was able to mute the video while watching it because they put lots of handy dandy text on screen. So you don't have to listen to the pipe but they put all the testing data on screen. So really, it was only about a 2 to 3 dB drop in volume. Uh, so dB is a way to measure you know, sound pressure levels. And 2 to 3 dB, you know, coming from my work in the live events you know, world, it's not super significant. It's definitely progress, but it's not super significant. All right, lastly, in other Gasser news, the popular raw Super G Gasser conversion kits are back in stock over at gaspoweredhelicopters.com. So if you missed out on those, um, more are available now. All right, with that, let's go to some less noisy news. Uh, So if you are, and Scott, listen up, I'm sure you already know this already, though, one of the lucky few building the Nitron 90 kit, there is an error in the manual you should be aware of. Uh, So the folks at Tron are already working on updating this ASAP, and honestly, the fix will probably uh, be out by the time uh, this is released, this episode. But at issue is the location of the tail servo, so it's shown incorrectly in the earlier pages of the manual, but correctly towards the last few pages where you build the tail pushrod and throttle linkage. A-Main team pilot Kenny Hutton gets the credit for catching this error, and in fact, if you go to the RC Heli Hangout Facebook group, search for Kenny Hutton, He's got a recent post with a photo uh, showing you the correction. Uh, So thanks for bringing that to our attention, Kenny. Also from Tron is that they've discovered that YS engines have a bit of a fit issue in the Nitron 90. 
This issue only applies to YS engines, so there's no issues at all if you go with an OS. So Tron plans to update part number TR691-303, which is the engine fan mount on all future kits, and will also include a custom crankshaft shim for YS engines that will completely take care of the issue. Uh, so if you've already purchased a kit and plan to use a YS engine, reach out to your point of purchase, and they'll get you the needed replacement parts. Uh, and again, future kits won't be affected at all, as those parts will be included for YS engines. My only comment is there's two major manufacturers of Nitro Engine. OS and YS. And all YSs fit the same, and all OSs fit the same. So, I mean, they no. could have done it. They could have tried the two. I would have if I was building a helicopter, but I'll let it slide. Um, but I will say, uh, it's cool that they're going to help, you know, get the right part. And it sounds like it's not going to be a cool, uncool upgrade. <laughs> no, it definitely sounds like it's going to be free if you bought one already. Yeah, so that's super cool. Same issue like the Glogo had. Remember the Glogo 690? And then the frames had to be slotted a certain way. It's just the, the fan ends up too tall and it crowds up into the fan shroud. And then mm -hmm. it binds. So uh, also hits the top of the clutch shoe. So, uh, you know, you can, you can elongate the holes in the frame and drop the engine down. You could file some off of the clutch stack and drop it lower. Or you can make your shim smaller. Or you could uh, drill a section in so the shim goes further into that uh, clutch stack thing. So a bunch of different solutions. I don't think it's a problem. It just makes it too tall. It hits things. All right, so we got some further updates from SAB coming out of Rotor Live, thanks to some videos now being released. Uh, most of these videos are in German, but thanks to some translated subtitles, I've got a decent shot of getting most of this right. As always, I look forward to your emails telling me what I got wrong. Um, the, uh, so the RAW 500, some additional features uh, I learned about this, is going to have a rear-loading battery tray with connectors on board the tray so that once you slide and lock the tray in from behind the helicopter, it just powers right up. So very similar to what XL Power did with the uh, Spectre V2, and I think they have a kit available for the Nimbus as well. Um, so just the way Devin likes it from the back, uh, it also features a unique belt tensioner that has numbers on it. So this is kind of cool. So as you tighten the belt, you know, it wasn't super clear in the video, but what I think that happens is this little sort of probably sprung plunger type thing is pushed further out or in, I'm not sure which, uh, from the frame side. And there's a number measurement, you know, a sliding scale on it. So you can actually say, what's your belt tension? And someone can say 57 or whatever it is. So that's kind of cool. Belt tension is one of those things that people say, well, how tight do I run the tail? And people say, well, you know, not too tight, but not too loose. And you get this really hard to quantify yeah. kind of information. And I think with time and experimentation, you kind of learn what you like. But now you can say, well, you're a beginner, you're starting out, blah, 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 you should run 37 or whatever it is. So that's certainly, you know, a great way to give someone a starting point. So I um, thought that was pretty cool. That is kind of a neat little ad. I don't know. Yeah. It's really gadgety, but I think it's nice because like you're saying, it gives you a more definitive way to either for yourself quantify where is it where I like it, you know, where's the place I want to have it back again. Like, I know on my 570, you know, all the goblins, they have that little, on that one pulley, they have that little metal thing that kind of, you're supposed to line it up. So just kind of flush with the frame. Some people say yeah. run it a little bit out. If it's a little bit in, that's fine. Like for me, like, yeah, the only way I can quantify is if I stroke my finger across that and it pokes out just a little bit. That's what I like, right? But if I had a number that I could look at, it'd be like, yeah, it's still on there. Or did my tail 
did it did it you know how sometimes your tail if, over time maybe the belt loosens up or whatever it's like am i still at the same tension you can just kind of look down and see the number that's neat yeah the other thing is is you know if you're doing maintenance on the helicopter or replacing something and you take the boom off you can go right back to the tension you had which is cool as well yeah that's neat all right so another thing we learned about the raw 500 is it's going to come with some sacrificial plastic blade grip arms uh, which can prevent a bit of crash damage by being a you know a designed failure point. However, if that doesn't appeal to you, there will be an optional metal uh, blade grip arm as well. Uh, not sure whether that'll be included with the kit or available as an accessory, but uh, you will have both versions uh, as options. Uh, word is that the RAW 500 should be released in May at some point, but no confirmation on that yet. Pricing is expected to be, shockingly, not really, uh, between the RAW 420 and the RAW 580. In the U.S., I'm guessing roughly in the low to mid $600 range, uh, maybe $625, $650. That's a guess. Don't quote me on that. That's just kind of a ballpark based on uh, some info in some of the videos I saw at Rotor Live. And then uh, moving on, but still staying with SAB, learn a bit more about the SAB Urukai Genesis makeover. So we'd all seen it in the booth with a new sort of orange canopy scheme. But what I didn't know is there'd been some changes on the inside as well. So it's had a bit of a drivetrain makeover by multiple F3C champ uh, Ineo Gropper. Apologies if I got that wrong. But uh, it now features a plastic main gear, uh, as well as an updated drivetrain featuring two vertical thrust bearings that apparently help noticeably improve its auto rotation performance. So this updated drivetrain is also apparently super quiet, had a large drag reduction over the previous version. So all of this is aimed at improving its already great performance for F3C, which does include an auto-rotation component once you get into the higher classes. And pricing for this version is expected to remain exactly the same as the previous versions. So no pricing change here, just an updated scheme and an updated drivetrain uh, with some auto-rotation uh, performance improvements, which is great. Yeah, the vertical thrust bearing thing is pretty intriguing to me. I can't recall if there's been other helicopters that have done a thrust bearing on the main shaft like that, but that's... That's pretty slick. I could totally, in my mind, I'm envisioning how that, that works out, and that seems totally logical. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see like the actual schematic of how it's all laid out. And my helicopter history does not go that far back, so I don't know if it's been done before. But uh, uh, certainly sounds yeah. cool. And apparently that's its hang cool. time is noticeably increased. Like you can hit yeah, hold, that's... and it'll, it'll hang for a long time before you got to settle it down. So uh, that's, that's great. Cool. All right, moving away from SAB to Align. Uh, you remember those Align servos in the TN70 Super Combo kits? Uh, well, they're now available outside of those combos. So the DS835M and the DS830M are both available now for US $189.99. So Align is clearly very proud of these servos. Uh, and if I'm reading this right, it looks like from the part numbers that the Cyclics will be available with two different wire lengths. So not detachable, like you buy it in one version or the other, um, but there's a 260 millimeter version and a 140 millimeter version, which is an interesting concept. You know, I don't know that retailers are going to like it because it's just an additional skew of the same servo that you have to stock on the shelf. But uh, for a buyer, it's certainly interesting because if you've got that one servo right next to the FBL or two, depending on the helicopter, uh, you can buy the ones with the shorter leads and not have to deal with all the extra wire. Yeah, that's kind of nice. So Align has released some more marketing flyers for the TN70, which always leaves me with many, many questions. 
And these ones aren't as funny. They're just a little bit weird. So for example, quote, the new steel alloy clutch liner is durable with temperature control, avoiding the exploding clutch liner or breaking clutch housing. So does this mean that the old one exploded and (laughs) broke the clutch? Like, no, I think I didn't hear anything about the old one doing that. But what I think they mean is if you have a chicken dancer, like a runaway with a normal aluminum clutch bell and a regular liner, like as soon as the liner wears out, it starts hitting the aluminum, then it gets hot and explodes and the shoe explodes. Like, I think, I don't know, you were there, right, Devin? Like Jason Bell was standing by a heli trying to pull the fuel line and it blew up and like whizzed past his head. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that may be what they're talking about. Makes sense. Yeah, possibly, huh? Well, no more exploding clutches. Uh, Or this one about the, quote, new swash plate, end quote, that says, quote, improved mounting rod design to provide greater reliability and stability to prevent detachment of the rods during extreme flight maneuvers, quote. So I'm glad the swash plate keeps the, you know, the links attached. That's a, that's a nice feature. I don't yeah, know that I would call that works. out. <laughs> but one would hope a 3D helicopter's like links would stay attached while you fly 3D. That's a weird one. Yeah, that's a, I'm trying to figure that out. So are they talking about the mounts for the servo balls or what are they like slightly bigger or deeper or something? I, I don't know what they changed, but know. they're just saying that they, the, the links, you know, between your servo and swash and presumably swash and the, and the blade grip arms are not going to pop off, um, you know, which is very nice. That's a really desirable feature. Mostly, though, I'm really happy that they've not changed their stance on their own canopy design. And they still go on to say, like they did on the TN70, that, quote, the streamlined and neat curves of the case. And when they say case, they mean canopy. So the, quote, streamlined and neat curves of the case are not only dazzling, but also enhance the overall shape of the love machine. Dazzling. <laughs> the love machine. The love machine. Oh, my God. Oh. So all of you TN70 owners or those that will have one, you will have a dazzling love machine. You know what? I have to say it. Alan Zabo, can you please help them with their marketing? You speak English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, you still work for a lion, I'm pretty sure. Like, oh my god, just have, help him a little oh, bit. No. I know. I know. It's just, it's just a language thing, right? It's not a lion's fault. I understand that English is not the easiest language in the world, but for the love of Pete, take one of your team guys <laughs> and have him spend 10 minutes and go, dear god, you can't call it a love machine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But, uh, all right. So last up, crazy busy work week last week. So apologies if I missed anything. But remember, if you're a manufacturer who'd like your new product mentioned on the news or have an event coming up, please feel free to reach out to me via email at nickwisdom at rchnv3.com, and we would be glad to share your news. And uh, with that, that's all I got for the news this week. Do you think we can make RCHN V3 t-shirts that say, quote, try the love machine? (laughs) (laughs) Want to see my dazzling love machine? (laughs) I think that would be hilarious. Can we just change it to the love shack? Love shack. (laughs) 
and then oh, play not, the song and everything. Play the same ring. Well, we can do that too. Yeah, but then there's a song for you, you know, Love Shack, la la Love Shack. Devin, I, I just, I think we need every fun fly DJ to just play that every time in a line helicopters in the air. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. That or Barry White. <laughs> there you go. All right. So with that, we're going to dig into this week's main topic. Uh, and for this one, I'm going to kind of sit on the sidelines here and just enjoy being one of the boys. I know they've been talking about chatting about some different flight setups and different philosophies on rates and, and expo and how you find what works best and some different things. So yeah. I'm going to sit aside and hand it off to I don't know who who's taking the reins this week. I will pilot this rates and expo ship. Oh, no, it's short, a sinking possibly. ship. Uh, <laughs> we're, going <in. laughs> we're going in, boys. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say to start with. I've been mentioning about, like, I want to talk about rates and expos. And, but I don't see a lot of people talk about it. And I guess coming back into the hobby, back in the old days, people talked about that a lot. And maybe it had to do with the additive control you had to do um, when you had a fly bar. And you wanted to fly, you know, you, you had different paddles you could buy, different holes you could put the paddles on, but you would augment some of that control characteristic with rates and expos and things like that. And I'm fully aware that coming back into the hobby, the, the name of the game is fly barless control units and computers and gyros and those things control the servos and stuff instead of like a, a mechanical interaction component, right? But, you know, rates and expos are still a thing, I'm pretty sure. So I guess what I wanted to do was see if we could chat a little bit about uh, rates and expo. And some for some of the new people, some people don't know what they are, so we can kind of talk a little bit about that too. Basically, I want to know, you know, what what does everybody use for rates and expos? What are the pros? What do we think the pros are doing? Does anybody even use them? You know, that kind of thing. I feel like there's value to them in there somewhere. So yeah, that's I guess we can begin. Um, so since uh. Scott, since you brought up ChatGPT last week, I was kind of intrigued. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to talk to ChatGPT and see what ChatGPT thinks about Expo to start with, because rates are pretty straightforward. Rates are, you know, how much I get a flip and roll rate they'll have. And we'll talk about that too, I guess. But um, so here's what ChatGPT says about Expo. Uh, we can kind of see if it Expo's, if they're right or not or what, see what ChatGPT says. It says, uh, I asked ChatGPT, please explain how Expo works on an RC helicopter. And it says, Expo, short for exponential, is a feature available on many radio control transmitters that allows the pilot to adjust the sensitivity of the control sticks. In the context of an RC helicopter, Expo can be used to make the helicopter respond more or less aggressively to stick inputs. When Expo is applied, the response of the helicopter to stick inputs is adjusted by a curve that's based on an exponential function. The amount of expo that is applied is usually expressed as a percentage and determines how quickly the response of the helicopter changes as the stick is moved away from its neutral position. For example, if you have a lot of expo set on the aileron and elevator, a cyclic control of your helicopter, it'll be less sensitive to small stick inputs around the center position, but more sen sensitive to larger stick inputs farther away from the center position. This can make it easier to control the helicopter precisely and smoothly, especially when performing maneuvers that require small stick inputs. On the other hand, if you have very little or no expo set on the cyclic control, the helicopter will be more responsive to small stick inputs, making it easier to perform aggressive aerobatic maneuvers. 
Overall, Expo can be a useful tool for customizing the feel of your RC helicopter controls to your personal preferences and flying style. Sounds pretty right. What do you guys think? That sounds pretty on point. That's what Expo does, right? Sure. Yeah, I got it right. Yeah, Jet, Chat DPT got 100 on that one. So it says, how much, I asked this next question, it's a little bit more arbitrary, right? I was like, how much Expo is a good amount of, uh, a good amount for sport RC heli flying? And, and it gave me kind of a generic answer. It says, the amount of Expo that is appropriate for sport RC helicopter flying can vary depending on a number of factors, including the pilot's skill level, flying style, and personal preferences. As a general rule of thumb, many pilots recommend starting with a low amount of Expo, around 10 to 20%, and gradually increasing it until you find a setting that feels comfortable and responsive for your flying style. This can help prevent overcorrections or erratic movements while still allowing for pre precise and control, or precise and smooth control. However, it's important to note that there is no one correct amount of Expo that will work for everyone. Some pilots prefer more Expo to make their helicopter feel more stable and predictable, while other per others prefer less Expo for faster response and more aggressive maneuvering. Ultimately, the best amount of Expo for your RC helicopter will depend on your individual preferences and flying style. It's recommended to exper experiment with different settings and find the one that feels most comfortable and responsive for you. So that's, that's what it said about sport flying. And it seems like, to me, that feels like it's pretty right on. Maybe the percentages are a little high, I don't know. No, uh, that's perfect. Uh, you can go ahead and give my sponsorship to ChatGTP. <laughs> right. GTP, whatever um because it has explained that better than i give a shit to explain it to be completely honest yeah <laughs> it right. put more effort in that explanation than i think i ever have to explain what expo does totally yeah because yes. expo is like one of those it seems like one of those controls that it's just a it's an afterthought maybe it's not an afterthought i just feel like there's it's a not. lot of value to it so i mean that's all time i don't know what you're on about Okay, then. So that said, what's everybody here using for Expo? Any at all? 25. 25%. Huh? Okay, so you use 25%. And so here's a question for you, too, because this is a, another thing that we can kind of talk about. It, it, you know, a lot of these fly barless control units will have, like, I know when I'm in the brain control software, right, there are spots where I can put in a number for the amount of Expo and... Um, and I set the rates in degrees per second that I want the, my, my maximum to be and stuff. But there's also a spot in the radio where you can set up mm. your own expo and dial your dual rates. Doing a little research, I, I found that the brain, that some of the guys say for the brain, it's okay to use a little bit, but not a lot. Um, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe there are some fly barless units that don't like it when you do it in the radio. So, um, mm. Most of them is not a good idea to do in the radio. And it's yeah. also very true that you only do one. So if you've ever flown it, you can try it. It won't crash your helicopter. But do double expo. It flies like a bag of turds. Yeah. It's insane. So okay. it's highly recommended that you don't do almost anything in the radio when it comes to any kind of tuning or stuff like that. If you're talking a traditional like spectrum style or I don't know, maybe jetty style radio where yeah. you you program your your uh, travel and your expo and stuff in the radio and the fly barless. So you leave those flat, you leave your endpoints the same like 100% You'd, you'd usually go in the fly barless and you make sure you get like, you know, 2000 pulse width uh, at one extension, 1500 in the middle and a thousand at the end. Yeah. Just so you have a really uniform control into the fly barless system. And then you want to do all of your tuning, expo, rate, all that stuff in the fly barless itself. Yes. Okay, good. That's good. That's a good point. That's a good tip. 
And so you said that you run, what do you run for Expo on your, Scott? 25%. And so are you talking about all, like, is that cyclic and rudder or all, just cyclic or? So I'm a weirdo and I really like to run cyclic identical to my rudder. And okay. the reason for that is if I'm doing some sort of like corkscrew or any kind of maneuver that involves deflection of both sticks equally, yeah, um, I really love to have the same amount of deflection result in the same amount of uh, rotation feel for the, the head and the tail. Yeah. And um, another thing to keep in mind too is Expo is related to your rate. So if I run a slower rate on a, on a helicopter, if I'm running like for V-Bar, for instance, just because I know those numbers, uh, my typical rate is going to be around one, oh shit, I forgot, 140, I think. Okay. 120, 120. Holy shit, I've forgotten how to tune damn RC cars. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's 120, um, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I think it's 120. Um, and then I'll run 25% expo. If I run it lower in like the hundreds or the nineties, um, it'll be a lower expo because okay. your full stick deflection doesn't result in as much movement. Does that make sense? It does because of that expo curve, right? So if I'm like exactly. two thirds of the stick out and I have the same amount of expo, I'm really like starving some of my control input. If I take the expo to make it a bit less, I, that curve will be a little higher at that two thirds of stick input and I'll have it slightly more degrees per second. That's not my max yet. Cause I haven't got all the way to the max, but no, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I'm just hunting. I'm hunting for consistency around center with Expo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that, and what you see as a result then is some of that slower, more precise control around center stick. Is that your benefit that you're getting or what? Yeah. I like it for doing like uh, really smooth, fast stuff near the ground, like hurricanes and stuff. I like a little yeah. bit of Expo just to make sure I can do kind of real fine corrections yep. and make it look super smooth. So people don't really see the corrections as much. But if I need fast, I've got it. Just got to get near the end of the stick deflection. Sure. If you know, let's say you're going to jump out of that trick or transition to something hard or yeah. do a quick save or something, you can still full deflect and get that all that. Yeah, that it, helps, it helps make things look smoother. Yeah, good. Okay. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because that's one specific thing that I have trouble with sometimes is that you get into a maneuver, but you have those intermediary adjustments that you have to make. And I just don't have my, my expo dialed in where I want it. And it's just, I'm having this trouble. I'm I'm having a hard time chasing it because I'm chasing down that. I want that more granular control, but it seems like maybe in trying to do that, I think I know what I'm doing in the brain at least. You had mentioned that your rates, you have some number. It's like 120 or 130 or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Do you know in the Mikado world, is, is there some sort of a table that you can look at that equates to a degrees per second of rotation? Or does that some, is that something any that you guys even worry about that I, I can get a full rotation in one second that's 360 degrees or I, i'm doing a rotation and a half in a second so i'm running 540 degrees uh it's ahead. not really like documented that way the v-bar but i've heard i've heard through conversation that a value of 100 on the head would be one revolution a second and okay. i think it's a half if i'm not mistaken a half revolution so upright to inverted full stick deflection at 100 would be one second and okay. then if you do um, 120, it was 1.2 half revolutions per second. Does that make sense? It does. And so let me make sure I understand this. In that metric, so say 100, right? You're talking about going from upright to inverted. 
Yeah. That's, yeah, it's your setting, and that takes one second at full deflection to do that. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, so maybe this is part of the trouble that I'm having, and maybe I'm bringing this... I had mentioned many shows ago talking about coming from the drone world, and I briefly touched on rates and how in the drone world we're running like 900, 1,200 degrees a second and shit oh, yeah. right, on these little tiny things. I started on the 570, and it was up there. It was like 450 or something like that. <laughs> and it was just really not very easy to control at all, right? It was just super squirrely and light. And I was like, wow. And, you know, but, and I could make it flip super fast and I could, I could like stick bash a TikTok. And I was like, damn, it was like bang, 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 bang. But there's no actual control or flight, real good flight control happening there. It's just a lot of fast rotation, right? Yeah. So I've well, been trying to dial it back and hearing what you're saying, it almost sounds like I should be, you know, like I've, I've pulled it down to, I think I'm at like 300 degrees a second right now. And that feels still... good blistering fast right so most most big helicopters you know 600 700 size they're going to struggle to hit 360 degrees a second on the disc tail yeah. you, can, you can go absolutely fucking ballistic on the tail but right for the head that that usually holds true that's why you hear a lot of guys talk about uh like those nick maxwell blades um the revo blades that they can sustain a faster you know cyclic roll rate close to 360 degrees a second but okay. most, most helicopters will fall flat in their face at those kind of rates. But what okay. you do get is you get that initial off-center kind of movement. Mm -hmm. So some dudes will run rates that are completely not achievable by the fly barless unit. Yeah. 400 degrees a second, 500 degrees a second, whatever. Um, and they do it just to have that off-center ballistic blast, right? Almost and you'll like see that. that oh. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. You'll, you'll see the helicopter will really kind of fire off center and get like a quarter of rotation around, maybe maybe almost a half a rotation. Yep. And you'll see it almost decel because okay. it can't sustain it. The blades just start to stall and it can't keep the, the same kind of, uh, you know, angles per, per second. Yeah, you've hit the mechanical limits at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yep, like, exactly. Okay. So I feel like I'm really glad we're actually talking about this because I feel like now I'm starting to discover this little black hole that I've created for myself with some of these helis, especially the ones in the brain where I can actually see what my result is. I know for the Beast X ones, there isn't any intuitive way except for maybe videotaping it with it and then clicking with a stopwatch to find out what you're actually getting, you know? But mm -hmm. um, I know it, that's just so much more arbitrary with the Beast X, right? I know on my X5, for instance, the Beast X has a, these various settings where you can do like intermediate, sport, advanced, and whatever, right? Yeah. And all the rates and expo and stuff is all built into that setting, and there's no adjusting it. But there's another setting where it's transmitter, and it'll and the idea is that you just let the gyro do just the gyro control, and you put those input augmentations in at the radio, right? It's one of the yeah. in the old days that's how they did it. And so I have the X5 set up that way, and I noticed that if I on my one rate that I have at a hundred, it just is a hundred all the way, right? And I have a little bit of expo on that one. I think it's like five or ten or something like that right it's really like squirrely around center but just like you're saying i'll i'll just if i want to i can do TikToks like 45 degrees out and in and it's all pretty consistent in speed but i can like you're saying I'll, if i want to do like a flip if i pull it all the way back i can feel it like it's fast and then a little bit slower so i feel like in that case that beast x is set just outside i know from talking to us now that all my brains are set way past i think my, yeah maybe you'll not notice You'll notice they'll fly a lot better when you lower it down to an achievable value. Yeah. You'll stop stalling out blades. You'll be more consistent with your rotation rate. Your, your start to roll to end to roll position will be more predictable for where it stops and where you think yeah. it's going to stop. 
So okay. I highly recommend lowering that to something achievable and then bumping up to where you like it instead of just being outside that window and letting physics limit you. Yes, dude, I'm super excited about that because I had been just going, you know, you go in and you tune something and you tune a couple of things. I'm like, okay, let's, because I have them set up now. I'm, I'm trying to do it more methodical where I have got one rate that's just kind of a gentle kind of a setup. I'm not really concerned about that because everything's nice and it's just for cruising around. But then my next one is what I'm going to use for performance. And I set that one and the third one to be the same, except I set the third one. That's where I'll make an adjustment. So when I'm in flight, I can go from two to three and see how does it feel different. And if it feels worse, then I go back and change something else. But I had no direction really until we started talking today. So I have a place to go now when I go and go back to go program this where I can first dial some of these rates back a little bit. And then I can kind of play with the like the expo and stuff like that. You know, I was watching um, uh, videos the other day and it was because this is on my mind because we were going to talk about it. I was watching an old Jason Blaylock video. It was a stick cam video that he had and he was doing TikToks out in front of him. And it was nice that the, the, the tail was just stuck like a post. Right. And he was just going back and forth and back and forth. But I glanced down to the stick cam output and I watched his thumb going up and down for the collective. And you could see occasionally it was almost like a little figure eight. And I just kept trying to look up and down and up and down. And in my mind, I'm trying to figure out are those micro corrections on the tail or is that just maybe a dead zone? Or is that an example of me seeing the result of him having expo on the tail? And I'm, I, the only conclusion I can come up with is that's gotta be some nice, nice beefy expo on the tail. Because I know for me, like when I'm doing those, those TikToks or collective base maneuvers, my tail is never really solid and I don't have really any much expo on the tail. So I feel like if I dialed that up, does that sound logical? If I dialed that up some, I can get the tail to settle down a little bit more around center, especially when I'm doing yeah. high collective maneuvers and stuff. It'll build bad habits too. It'll make you sloppier on the sticks as far as getting, um, I forget the exact terminology, but where you get in, uh, unintended control inputs while you're doing collective. So you're yeah. feeding in rudder by accident while you're doing collective. Uh, yeah. I want to avoid that for sure. So yeah. So if you part. dump in a shit ton of expo, you're going to make those habits worse. So just keep that in mind. Are you sure Jason wasn't doing like a tail wag TikTok or something or? No, I was looking at it. It was, I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't like a full figure eight. It was more like when you go up and down and you feel like, you know, there's that dead spot in, in the rudder and in the cyclic side where you get right at the center and you feel the springs let go and then you can push against the next spring on the other side. It was almost like he was just stroking the pressure on the spring on accident mm -hmm. just because the, the thumb was going up and down. You know what I'm saying? You need a new radio. What? You need a new radio. Your springs are worn the shit. <laughs> you think no it's not it's not like that it's not like there's it's not i'm not talking about like my radio's dead i'm talking about just the natural when you pick up a radio and you move it you can just when it transitions to that detent you're talking about it's not like loose in the middle no. but you just feel it go clunk clunk to resisting the opposite direction you can tell yeah that clunk yeah, yeah, yeah. just and there's that little space in the middle there you can feel it you know it just felt like he was riding around in there a little bit it wasn't it didn't look intentional at the at the stick cam you know what i'm saying and so i'm like that he must have like 10 percent, 15 percent expo on there maybe i don't know so maybe that's something I'll have to play around with. I don't know. Devin, what do you do? You just run straight linear curves there the whole way, 1,000 degrees a second, or what do you do? Uh, well, I don't know because I don't do degrees, so yeah, couldn't tell you. I run usually around 110 on the rates for V-Bar. Like I said, me and Scott could basically pick up each other's helicopters and fly them like they were our own. We've, yeah, pretty close. I think we we had a little conversation in our group chat about uh, together about that, but 
me, me, me and Scott and a, and a handful of other people could literally just grab each other's helis and walk away and and fly them and have no issues. Um, we run really similar setups with minute differences. I think I think my expos. I think I run thirty. That's the only difference. Mm, sure, sure. Level it up. Yeah, and I, I bounce all over too between helicopters. Like sometimes I'm between. You know, like like you said, 20, 25, 30, 35, it all depends. I've noticed, like, as time goes on, that number kind of drops down sometimes, depending on how I'm feeling. And same with the rate, too. Like, I run 120 normally, but if it starts to get a little shitty, because the helicopter that I'm flying particularly can't keep up with that, I'll drop to 110, like Devin's doing. And it feels almost identical. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so my when it comes to my setup, basically pretty damn close to scott's we and we we've we've compared each other's before we've looked at it to see what the physical difference is like at fun flies is because we noticed that and there are some differences but it it changes the feel really so little it's yeah. Yeah. yeah what do you do for um uh style i that might be the one difference i hate style so, so what I, is that? So style is described in VBAR about how robotic the heli is. Okay, that, so that, it's like flybarless unit versus just in like servo input. Sort of. Mm, it's kind. Yeah, it, it's a little bit more like how on other controllers you're playing with your eye gain. Uh, so mm, the other okay. stuff's uh, affected too, but you get the same basic like theory of raising your eye gain a lot. It feels very like stuck in fluid sort of thing, like you're flying through like jello air. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Versus like a lower eye gain, it feels a little bit more like loosey goosey sort of, you know, response to what you want. So, like a lower X, a lower style will give you better, you know, pyro flipping, stuff like that. Stirring, stirring movements will be smoother and more predictable. The yeah. higher you go, the easier it is to do like pop and lock, really aggressive, fast stuff in the air. It okay. just feels more locked in sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Got it. So yeah. I think my style is, I think it's at like 50 or something. <laughs> Mine's 50. Wow, that's <laughs> I run 50. Okay. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure what I did the first time I looked at it is I, because the style doesn't go to zero on a, on a V-bar. I'm pretty sure it physically you can't go to zero. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. think I think the lowest is like thirty or something like that. So I just kind of like oh, 50, good number, perfect, and <laughs> left it yeah. at that. Yeah, I did this. I, I did the same kind of thing. I was playing with it one day, just trying to make the helicopter fly like I wanted for doing pyro flips. Because like I could do pyro flips on the sim, but when I did them in real life, for some reason, I'd always hit this like a couple positions where it just feels like it stopped, and then yeah. it keeps going, and then it same. stopped, and it keeps going. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So I went to play with style and I dropped it up down all over the place and I ended up at 50 and I was like, oh yeah, we're pure flipping smooth now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I stayed. Exactly. So I, I run my style at 50 on every heli I fly. Yeah. That's one nice. of the first things I do. I don't even fly the heli. I put it at 50 from a basic setup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So on a scale from 30 to a hundred with yours at 50 in a generic sense, it almost feels like one third fly barless override, two thirds stick input, or am uh, I just oversimplifying this whole thing? Oversimplifying. Yeah. There's voodoo yeah. magic back there. Yeah, there. You well, so because I know, like you had mentioned, that whole eye gain thing, and I remember that from the drone world. How when you have the eye gain up, all the uh, 
all the all those i don't know the right word to use it but all that all the control loops in the background are just so much tighter around that particular position that you're in that it's almost more resistant to change yeah in the drone world and that however that translates that's why i said in my mind i feel like it's the fly barless unit is like holding that position stronger for you yeah well the integral, higher you ring that number up you know integral in in principle is how much error it's allowed to have yeah. So the higher the eye gain, the less error it's allowed to have, the more it tries to maintain and achieve that certain angle that you're, you're at currently. Yeah. So the lower the eye gain, the more it allows it to wander and, and drift off of its target. Sure, sure. And if it's too high, that, that's why you talked about it. Sounds like it's flying through jello because you feel like you have to try so much harder to get it out of that position, sort of. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I got it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's voodoo so magic, cool. Rob. It's voodoo. <laughs> it is. Well, and so that makes sense. That helps me to understand. There's a um, setting that I, I'm, a, I'm from talking to you guys. It sounds like it's the same type of setting in the brain software where it's, uh, I don't remember the name of it, uh, but there's a similar slider where you can move it. The farther up you turn it, in this case, the farther up you turn that setting, the less, and from what we're talking about, the less eye gain is applied, right? So it's not holding on so tight or not, it's allowing more of that error input to come in, right? So, and I fly with a, that dial pretty high. So I feel like the inversely to what you guys are doing, I'm somewhere in the same world as far as that whole eye gain manipulation thing, so. I'm trying yeah. to see if Brain has that kind of feature because I think Futaba even has something similar. It's not specific to V-Bar for, for style. No, it's just called something different, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They, I'm pretty sure most of them have it. It's a pretty standard yeah. thing now. I'm trying to look up what the name of it is here. Hang on. Oh, I'm going to hear in about 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and lower my style to 50 now. I think I run 70 in the V-Bar, uh, which I've been yeah, pretty happy with. But, but I've never gone lower, so now I want to see what happens. So I think it's, it's called agility. It's called agility in the brain. And so the higher you turn up the agility, that's the less eye gain is happening. The lower the agility, the more the controller is that doesn't, holding that. That doesn't exactly sound right, but... It doesn't, but that's what it is, yeah. Um, the heli's more sense. agile when, there's, when the dial is turned up and it's more agile. So it's um, the opposite adjustment, too, is V-bar. So it sounds like you turn it up there to make it more yes. fluid. Yeah. And you, you turn, turn, it, yours down turn it down to make it more robotic. Yeah, just different right. wording. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, we don't, I know me and Scott, like, with our flight styles, we're not, we're not really pop and lock pilots if you watch us fly, so. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. So, low style, really low style. It's pretty close to as low as you can go on this style. So, that's interesting. Devin, I watched a flight, I watched one of the, one of these flights, it was at night, and I remember watching it, and you were doing... I don't remember what maneuver you were doing. It was like a, it looked like a Piro TikTok, but it was slower and it traveled across the sky. Like you were coming out of a, a like a turning, like an arcing maneuver and you transitioned into this. <laughs> and I was, and I was thinking about the disc and I was watching the whole thing fly. And it was just like, if, if I was to think of it in the context of only this one setting that we're talking about, I could imagine that you would have to kind of like settle the disc into that spot. But the disc was just like on a laser all the way around the whole maneuver you were doing. And I'm trying to figure out in my mind, like, cause now I've talked to you and you know, you've got like 20, 30% expo running roughly the same rates as Scott and this agility settings kind of low. 
and when I watched the helicopter, I've, I've observed the stability of the machine in the air, and I'm like, I can't achieve that. And mechanically, it's fine. So maybe what I needed, because I don't, I'm not really using a ton of expo, and all my rates are so high that I feel like maybe, and sometimes I'm just over, maybe I'm outside the, you know, the 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 unit's control loop or something like well, that, or it's trying to do inputs that are outside the envelope. So, well, it's, I mean, Rob, it's possible, but then, um. I think um, there's another big thing of, around 3D flying or hard 3D flying that a lot of people may not realize or they haven't gotten to that point yet is that there's a lot of times when you're doing a maneuver where you're just kind of letting the heli go and then, yeah. and then you're just following it. You're, you're not trying to force it through it. A lot of these, a lot of these flights, like a lot of these maneuvers, the heli likes that attitude you don't have to force it through it okay. it, it you, you just let that fluid motion carry it through yeah so what, once you get it into that position and and you're not over controlling it or under controlling it you know or anything of that nature and you just know what you need to do yeah th you can really just kind of go with the flow i think that might be part of it too and i think more stick time through the through the spring and summer is going to help with some of that because I think that some of the times I'll get into something and it has I think it has a lot to do with how I have my stuff set up right but and I'll dial that in but I think part of it is now I'm in a position where I feel like I'm doing maybe I'm just over correcting a lot of stuff right and now I've overcorrected now I'm trying to correct that movement you know I'm trying to chase that line right yeah uh, rather than just let the heli fly the line I like, mean there I are some point. there are some 3d maneuvers out there where you're it re you, you, like a pyro flip you're never not moving the stick yeah yeah totally. you're, you're never not moving the stick but then you, when you start going to big air like you're coming across the field you can let you basically let go of the stick and kind of just you know let it go like like i do i do a move where i kind of I'll, I'll pop up the heli let it float and come sideways and i'll just let it pirouette i'm not doing anything on the cyclic once i get it sideways i'm just letting the tail pirouette and at the end, I'll, uh, is when I is when I do my catch, and uh, and mm. whether it's you know right aileron or whatever orientation it is, I'm just letting the heli float through the sky. I'm not yeah. controlling it through the whole, you know, through the whole entire thing. It's just you know the heli's floating there, riding the blade. So yeah, word that makes sense. That makes total sense. So cool. So that's uh that's quite a bit more insight, I think, into the expo and rates thing. For me, I know like. It sounds like uh, I'm just got my shit dialed up like way too high, your right? Shit, your shit is really <laughs> high, yeah, really high. Yeah, totally. I I think if I just if I get myself back in the envelope, it, it, and again, I'm just coming from old frames of reference, right? Trying to relearn the thing in this new landscape. We've talked about the new ways to get info. You got to find it in social media rather than forums and this and that. So I'm getting there, but being able to pick y'all's brain, it's fucking gold. I tell you what. I don't know. Like, Nick, you, I heard you making some idle comments when these guys were talking. Like, what do you got your shit set up at? Like, how do you set yours up? I'm pretty similar, man. Low style, not quite as low as these guys, but now I'm going to try that. 25% expo, typically, on uh, cyclic. And then I usually run a slightly higher expo on the rudder. I, I don't know. My, I, I try and go for this lower head speed, very smooth flight style. And yeah. I know where I want to get to. I'm not 100% of the way there yet. So the expo on the tail ends up having to be higher because I just, 
you know, I lower the rates down a fair amount so the tail doesn't spin, but you still need it to move fast when you need it to move fast. So I yeah, make sure I have yeah. enough speed at the f extremes of the stick to, to, you know, bail me out of stuff. And right. then I set the expo so that I can move the stick where I want it and get that comfortable amount, like a really nice slow Piro in a stall turn, for example, or whatever. So, and then rates, you know, I definitely lower agility and, and rates and stuff in most directions because again i want the helicopter to flip slower and i can do some of that myself on the sticks but i try and make the fly barless help me as well so that you know even at full extremes it's not rotating crazy fast uh because yeah, yeah i'm like the opposite of most people i seem to be attracted to the slow smooth versus the fast aggressive and that's precisely when i wanted to get your input too because you had mentioned so your rates you're running your rates a little bit lower than these other guys so at full stick deflection your heli's not flipping as fast as theirs is or rolling, right? Yeah. So in my mind, I picture this this area from zero to the end where you, maybe this is not the right way to think about this, but I feel like in my mind that you have this particular amount of control granularity on the stick, Nick, that, uh, that somehow gives you slightly more uh, granular control input than a guy that's running their end of their stick at let's i know you guys don't run degrees say in mikado but if you see it the heli flying it's maybe a an, a quarter of a turn faster or a half a turn or roll or flip faster right to get from zero input all the way to there there's only so many steps the stick can provide of, of different amounts yeah. of input so it's like Resolution. running for yeah so running like nick running the rates that you have all through that stick i feel like i imagine this like silky smooth ultra granular gradient of control all the way to the end you said you run like 25 30 percent expo right so the center is probably nice and smooth i picture in my mind your thumb moving a little bit farther around to control your heli than say to wood his thumb just kind of sits there unless he's popping it way out right yeah. because of the race yeah. and all that and yeah. it's, it's valid think of it this way like if you only have 30 degrees of stick travel for your deflection right if you make that end point you know, 120. So let's say that's, you know, 300 degrees a second. Let's say you drop that to 150 degrees just per second. You've now doubled the resolution of your stick. Yeah. So yeah. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. It's more, more precise. Yeah. That's cool. So I could, I could imagine in my head that, you know, I think it's, it goes without saying that generically speaking, it seems like the FAI guys run lower rates than the 3D guys. Right. And that's one of those control benefits that you can gain yeah. from that. By a long um, shot. Yeah, totally. Okay. Have you ever flown one of those? Like it's the not even close. Birds? Completely different. Yeah, like I flew, um, God, I forgot his name, uh, Angel Rojas's uh, helicopter before because yeah. he had it set up all for uh, F3, F3, F3C. Right. I swear to God, a few times, more than once, I was screaming because I thought I was going to crash his helicopter because uh, it just doesn't respond to what you're doing it's like it's like you turned off the radio yeah <laughs> and then i hit the radio to jason bell and he did the same shit he's like oh fuck 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 <laughs> can imagine That's right funny. yeah but it gets out of, it gets guy, out of whack because like we're used to letting the helicopter get a, you know at a certain angle or whatever or a certain speed and it's nothing because we have this you know lightning quick response where yeah. we can straighten it up and go a different direction and that does not exist on F3C helicopters. So if you get it too far out of whack, like it's going in. It might yeah. just take two seconds to get around to the ground and hit the ground, but there's nothing you could do. Yeah, you're not going to roll it different back rates out. on different banks, you know? Yeah, right. If you had like a bailout bank where your rates are like twice as high or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you got to yeah. do that. 
for sure. Wild. That's wild. And so that, and you know, to our topic, you know, talking about the rates and expo, that again helps to shed a lot of light on, although the me- birds are mechanically set up differently for FAI and F3C and stuff like that. This topic that folks don't talk about a lot, the rates and the expo plays a big part in that, um, the ability for you to have such finite control. Cause I think all of us have took our birds up one day and be like, Hey, I'm going to try an FAI hover this fucker. Nope. <laughs> you know, can't really do it very well. Or you're going to do the line and you sort of did what the FAI guys do in the line, but it doesn't hold a candle to how they're able to get that laser, you know, that laser slow roll or that climb up the J and then turn back around and stuff. I find myself trying to do that. And the bird is just, it's in this like, 10 foot pipe that if the line was an imaginary pipe it's all the way in there somewhere but the fai guys are like coming down a string you know just right on the line and the rates in the expo and that, that control granularity that we talked about i think plays a big part that's part of the the story behind why those birds fly the way they do you know yeah and they're not afraid to leverage things on the radio to help with that like the way yeah. that they set up their pitch curves between modes drives me crazy because like I need it to be predictable and do the same thing in all modes. Like, yeah, I don't know. I can't change as much behavioral things between flight modes as they do. Whereas they can fly radically different, you know, different pitch curves and rates and agilities and deadening some control inputs. And yeah, I think we talked one other time way back when about how, yeah, I think you had mentioned some of these FAI guys, they got like 40 rates on there, all these switches all over. And, you might have a rate set up for, you know, you're going to be coming across the field and you got to do that roll. And, but so you'll have a rate set up where you have hardly any pitch uh, input available on the, on the stick. It's all roll input. That way, while you're doing the roll, you're, you're providing very little, if any, pitch man- control. So you get down, you get into your straightforward flight, flip your switch, you roll, you unflip your switch, and you go back about your flight. I don't, my brain couldn't hold on to all the, I'm just, I, because we've been talking about this this long, you can see my brain's just still trying to figure out how to hold on to just the rates and the, the uh, expo and all of that, those settings just for one bird for all the whole flight, you know, <laughs> let alone a whole bunch yeah. of scenarios during flight. So yeah, that's some Kung Fu, I tell you what. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just want to add to the discussion that it's important to tune these expo and rates per helicopter, right? There is no set, like, sure, maybe expo ends up generally around 25% for every heli, but, you know, my Logo 700 on VTX 717s flies radically different than my other helicopters at the same expos and rates. It's just more agile in general, it feels to me. Like, it. when I was, like, flying that at at the same settings as my other 700s, it was like, holy shit, when I went to roll it and flip it and stuff. I was like, damn. And, and had to go yeah. through like a new tuning process of deadening it down because it was just, I don't know, just a more responsive helicopter overall for me anyway. That's a good point too. You know, certain blades fly more or less aggressively than other blades and stuff like that. So that might be an opportunity for you to take another lap through like yeah, your, your overall rates or your flying style or whatever. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Changes everything. Blades. Blades are the biggest impact on flying characteristics for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't really mess around with flying many different blades anymore yeah just find a kind you like and settle on that for all the birds or yeah every bird flies the same same not the same size blade but the same brand of blade sure so like the cord to length ratio or like cord ratios are all the same thickness and stuff like that i mean according to how long the blade is right you're not gonna you're not gonna have the same thickness on 
you know, a, a 700 blade uh, down to a 500 blade. Yeah, but, my 450s with these fat ass cord blades on. <laughs> but the same, the same brand. So usually, brands by they have the same similar characteristics among their blade sizes. So yeah. you don't have to do as much tuning. Yeah, word. Yeah, that makes sense. So now, Nick, you fly a three blade head, right? And now you've got this four blade head that you'll. And of course, the rates and expo story for your scale build it's going to be a different conversation than the ones for your aerobatic builds and stuff right but um you've got the one bird that flies the three blade did you have to adjust your rates or your expo at all because you added that extra blade in there how did that work out for you or did the head speed kind of help with that when you had to adjust that or what you know i'm going to be hesitant to offer too much advice here because i just don't have a lot of three blade experience so don't take this as gospel this is not you know scott graham sharing information on three blades this is me the guy with 20 flights on one Yes, you definitely have to do things differently. I got a lot of good advice from a guy here in Atlanta, uh, Mikel Graham, who flies a ton of three-blade stuff really well. And he taught me an interesting trick, which I don't think, uh, I don't know how many people do this, but uh, he actually said to decrease the model size in the fly barless, because fly barless, you sort of set a default. Is it a 200, 500, you know, 600, 700? So I went with a really small model size and then changed my rates from there. And that got it flying very close to what I'm accustomed to on my other helicopters. It's kind of how I have it tuned. But yeah, it's it's crazy respond more responsive in general. So yes, you definitely need to lower your rates. And I took my pitch down a little bit. You know, I think I'm at 12 degrees of pitch on the three blade, maybe 11 and a half. I'm not sure. I don't remember where it landed to get it to where, because I didn't want it to be, you know, insanely fast in the access. I just, I really wanted the sound is really what attracted me to the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. As a side note, that helicopter now is is at the point where it, I don't know, I baby it too much. It scares me too much as a three blade to the point I think I may go back to the two blade head so I fly it more. (laughs) Right. Yeah, maybe. Well, that's good. It was fun. That's good input. That's good input. So there is some practical, um, you know, adjustments that you'd want to make when you add a blade for sure. Not to mention the three blade tail is awesome. I think screams. Yeah, yeah, I bet. But it also responds a lot faster, and, you know, a lot of tail gain and, and other things have to be tuned there as well. Yeah, you could turn the gain way down and shit. Well, that's neat as hell. So, dude, I got a lot of great information about rates and expo, and I didn't think we were going to get as this much engagement, but we talked about a lot of really good and, I think, important things. You know, and I think that this adventure that people go on, sometimes you end up going on this part, the tuning adventure. It's because it has to do with directly how you yourself are flying the helicopter it's almost like you know doing things like what we just did on our show here to get advice from other people and stuff like that helps a ton to have a good knowledge base right but you still have to go on that adventure all by yourself because it's you flying the heli and i'm really excited to get because i've just been flying my helis how they are and dealing with it you know and just still having fun finding the fun in it all but i'm i'm really actually stoked now after talking to actually go back through all my birds systematically one at a time and do Devin like you had mentioned you spent you know this week just doing tuning flights and this and that and and just do that you know and dial these fuckers in a little bit so that's good you know thanks a lot for the input you guys gave um on rates and expo anybody got any other you know tips or notes or anything you want to add to this or what yeah pitch pitch oh yeah I feel like that's a real feel thing too yeah yeah what do you run me no, I was asking Rob what he runs. Oh, yeah, Rob. Oh, you mean like a max pitch or whatever? Yeah, I, yeah, collective. I'm sitting at like 13, 
I think. Okay, that's decent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just put them all at 13. I heard murmurings of people doing 14 and stuff, and I remember back in the day, 12 was like, whoa, you're running 12. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I'll, I'll sit at 13 right now. But, you know, something we talked a little bit earlier about, you had mentioned about if you get your rates too far out of the control loops and stuff, and now you're you're maxing the mechanic, mechanical envelope, and you start to get blade stalls, and you, you're doing things, and you're just losing all that disc loading and stuff like that. I feel like if I can dial in my rates and stuff, there may be, like right now, I just feel like I'm, I'm over pitching things and I feel like I'm, what I'm doing is I'm chasing, I'm chasing the heli, right? Because my, all oh, my controls are not set up right. But so regarding pitch, I mean, um, this may be a dumb question, but I know in the old days, linear pitch curve, no, uh, like I know these, these, uh, brains and stuff like that have, uh, um this option for like pitch smoothing Eesh. and on the big helis i don't use any of that on the little um oxy two i turned up a little bit of it because otherwise it was just i could never keep it in a stable hover it would either climb or sink climb and sink climb and sink. Yeah. so i added a little bit and i in my mind i'm imagining that's pitch expo that is that what that's doing it sounds like it i don't mess with any of that stuff and i also yeah. don't recommend having different pitch and different flight modes like clicking from idle up one to two and whatever yeah um because your model will jump. Right. Hold on. I can hear the Futaba guys going, our radio doesn't do that. It does condition smoothing. Cool. Uh, most radios don't. Um, right. So when, if you were to flick to a different mode, the heli will jump. Or if you do an auto rotation or something and flip back out, it'll like dig into the ground or something like that. So I usually recommend linear pitch curve. Same in all banks. Same in hold. Don't mess with it. Just get used to it and go yeah. from there. Yep. And I'm going to assume Devin runs somewhere around the same as me because we, we are samesies. I run 15 degrees, but oh, yep. all yep, yep. <laughs> But you rarely use it. You know, it's, it's for those burps and, and pops and kind of thing to make yeah. the heli stop and move. It's very and specific. Like, yeah. yep. And then you'll maybe dig into it sometimes when that fucker is moving. You'll, yeah. you'll need it to kind of maintain the, the movement if you ever flatten the disc out while you're going really fast kind of thing. But, so at 15 degrees, you guys are very rarely pegging the stick top to bottom. Yeah, when it's flying. like collective management style kind of thing. Because if you yeah. just peg it, like you'll blow the tail out and it'll fly like shit and it won't work very well. Yeah, and you'll just yeah. bog the crap out of it. That's amazing to me after, you know, having watched both of you fly, that there are moments in your flights where you're just so smooth. And I, I don't know how you do that when you've got 15 degrees of pitch and, you know, every... At that point, every single movement of the stick is perceivable in the helicopter. So the fact you fly as well as you do and having to control the stick that well is impressive. That's extra impressive I run, hearing that. I run more than that on my nitros. Hell yeah. yeah. Everyone's what? like, why do you run so much on nitro? I'm like, dude, it's good. Oh, dude, You, you can't it. use it all the time, but it's amazing to make it stop. Dude, 29 I think, degrees. I think my oxy nitro is up in the 16, 17, somewhere around here. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Hell yeah. But that's a 600 too, so... Yeah, it's a, it's a 600 running a Nova Rossi 57 at 100% all the time. Yeah. It loves the pitch. So Definitely. those last few degrees is more like an e-brake. Well, yeah. especially on like a from a nitro aspect, there, there's a lot of people that run 12 and a half and it flies really good. But I love the quick snap and stop that you get out of that pitch. You, yeah. you can never yeah. fly that pitch on a nitro don't try flying 16 degrees of pitch on your <laughs> nitro like using that stick but if you're in it for like you know a quarter of a second or just just to do stops and 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 maybe initial moving of the heli just to get it going where you're trying to go it's awesome 
Yeah, so. Rob, you ever seen like a helicopter kind of like, you know, quarter pyro off the ground till it's knife edge and then literally fucking teleport a foot to the side and then continue yes. the maneuver? That's yep. that's what it's for. Those high high pitch little pumps. Yeah, those, those snap maneuvers where it moves super quick and then obviously like if you're doing this stupid fast hurricane and then you do like an elevator flip halfway through, like yeah. you dig into it at that moment because you're traveling so fast. There's so much air going through the disc when it's flat. You can then use it and it's not bogging because you're not moving the air. You're just allowing it to pass through the disc at a, a rapid rate. You know what I mean? Yep. I know what you're saying. You spend okay. a very small amount of time in it while it's completely facing the air airflow. Huh. That's great. That's neat. And so yeah. in my mind, I'm picturing and thinking back to some of our co other conversations. If you're running like 16 degrees pitch, that granularity from zero to hero is much lower. So this would be an appropriate time for that disclaimer about collective management. And I think all of us in 3D, we kind of understand and we hear that that collective management kind of whispers by here and there. And you got to practice it as part of your routine. But that's super crucial in a situation like when you set up a bird like that to have like a ton of collective management skill before you decide to throw 16 on the top. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Like if you, ever, if you ever watch those videos of like my helicopter trying to pick up a cone or something or sneak the skid into a yeah. uh, hole of a cone, yeah. it is such a pain in the ass when you have <laughs> so much collective that not to make it go up, down, up, down, up, down yeah. when you're trying to hit a one-inch hole with a skid pipe. Holy shit. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I bet it is. So in my mind, then, I'm extrapolating this weird, nerdy, like, hypothetical scenario where a guy has 16 degrees pitch, and then, like, say, the brain world, we talked about that pitch smoothing, which is essentially, we can call it pitch expo. If you put in a bunch of pitch expo, and you, you, then you set up your stick where you get granularity from, like, center stick up to, like, say, two-thirds stick will give you your up to, like, 13 degrees, all that granularity in there, and then that because you set the smoothing up way high, you have this really steep expo curve. So from two-thirds of a stick up all the way to the top, you get uh, 14, 15, 16 degrees all right in there. I wouldn't so, do that. No. Because no. I suppose then when you're flying, if you come up to it, you'd be like, boom, and we just jump up into that. Yeah, it's yeah. linear. Oh, in my experience, having that linear stick always feels the best. Yeah. Okay. The one time I've messed with anything that's different than linear is with V-Bar and I was playing around with pitch pump. And the reason I did that uh -huh. was I had some issues with the helicopter when I was doing a very abrupt stop and I had all this collective that I'd get these disc wobbles that I just couldn't seem to, to dial out. And it didn't matter. Like you could fly around it and make it not do it and make it look smooth. But like if you wanted to fly like a dick, it was really hard to make the heli look locked in. It just seemed to wiggle sometimes. Yeah. So what I did was I lowered my total collective to like like 13 degrees. And then I added in pitch pump. And what pitch pump does is if you, it looks at how fast you're moving the stick. And if you do one of those collective jabs, it allows your total pitch to like increase by X amount. So let's say that you have it set at like, I don't know, 30 or 30 or 40% or something. And you do a jab, it's going to give you like five degrees extra collective at the end of that stick transition for like 250 milliseconds and then oh. come back to zero again and give you your normal max pitch. So oh. if you're a less, collective manage style pilot uh let's say you're just like a collective supervisor um <laughs> and you like to <laughs> dig in occasionally um yeah. this will allow you to dig in on a regular basis and really hit those end strokes but yeah. if you do you know whip it hard it'll give you that nice pop but it'll bring it down automatically for you whereas like i, I assume because Devin and i have been you know flying nitros and shit like that we get used to 
watching for bog and having collective management and not digging in constantly for a long time to the point you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's cool, but I end up doing it double with that. So if you, if you ever turn it on my helicopter and I try it, I get this weird fucking wiggle. If I do a really hard pop because I retract and it retracts too. So the heli goes like, woo at the end of the, uh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but it was cool. It's just, I I need to learn to fly with it. And I was like, nah, why don't I just do what I've been doing and roll with it that way? Yeah. Right. So I suppose the pitch bump is kind of like a digital version of having that, that collective management mastery where you can get your thumbs to punch forward and pull back that ever slow few millimeters down the stick to get you back to where you need to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I like the pitch pump on the smaller helis. I did not like it on the bigger helis. Agreed. Yeah. I, yeah. The, the small helis, really nice. Really nice. The bigger helis, it made it feel really weird. Yeah. Weird. to get more boggy after a while or what? Yeah. It, it, well, even though the, I, you know, I don't really mess with pitch pump because when I first tried it, I didn't like it because to me, it, it changed the feel of the collective on the stick. Yeah, it it com it completely changed it and made it a lot like harder for me to fly, because it there was just it's not consistent anymore. Yeah, because the middle yeah. of the stick when you're hovering or you're doing any smooth stuff, just it was off. You could feel that it was off. So I just turned it back off, and I was like, the old way works. Why why mess it up? <laughs> yeah, why untrain yourself with what you fought to to learn for years? Yeah, exactly. Uh, another thing they do too, because we're talking about collective, VBAR does it, and I think Brain introduced it lately. Uh, MSH Brain or Icon uh, lightness, and the theory behind that is your helicopter's moving around up, down, whatever. The flybarless really does know what way up is throughout most of that. Um, yeah. So what it does is whatever direction is up, whatever way the disc is facing for up gives you a little bit more collective that way. So let's say you're upright. It'll give you like three degrees more positive than negative. And then if you flip it inverted, it'll give you three degrees more negative than positive. And the theory behind that is you always have a little bit of bias positive collective towards the sky. And it'll make your helicopter feel like it's more floaty, like a bigger set of blades on a, on a helicopter. Uh, like you didn't have and to move the stick so far the other way to hold it there. No, you don't, you don't notice it when you flip it around. But let's say you're doing like um, continuous flips, continuous back flips. With a small helicopter like a 200 or a you know a 450 or something, you, you got to really roll with that collective to keep you in the same place because it loses so much altitude when it's knife edge, edge versus when it's flat. Uh, yes. But what this does is as you come off of knife edge, it automatically starts feeding in positive because it's biasing more positive to whatever way is up. So you can mm. do a continuous elevator flip like that with a lot less collective input and it just makes a helicopter feel a whole lot more floaty and less disc loading. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, hmm. I believe they just launched it this year on, on MSH, which is kind of cool. That is kind of neat, because I've run into that scenario, like, uh, you know, like the little Oxy-2, you know, I can't do a shit ton of maneuvers on that. Again, speaking to my rates are all fucked up, but the point is, I'll get up there and I'll do just a bunch of front flips or just a bunch of back flips or something like that. But I find after I do like three or four, I just I see I just see this fall off and uh, power and I I just feel like I've just at that point I'm starting to overload the disc I'm not I'm not pumping the the collective the way I need to anymore and it just starts to, to come out of the sky and I just gracefully come out of the maneuver you know and but I can't I can't sustain it you know for any longer than that really 
but maybe that feature would uh, allow that or help me with that. I don't know. That's kind of neat. Might help. I mean, it's, it's fun when you do it on like a 700 and you turn it all the way up. You don't even touch a collective. You just pull back elevator and it just flips there in the, in the sky. It's <laughs> kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of neat. Yeah. If you put way too much lightness in on a 700, really funny things happen. You got to yeah, flip it. I mean. It's like yeah. shooting up into the sky. It's wild. It's like, no, come back. <laughs> don't go. <laughs> so if you're bad at collective management and you gave it a bunch of like positive collective and then started elevator over. Uh, she gone. She's gone. Yeah, I was going to say she's just out of there. <laughs> well, this was a great conversation. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about this kind of thing. Yeah, we're coming up to a couple of hours worth of good content here for this episode. So I think it's probably a good time to wrap it up if you guys are ready to do that. See. Si. Si, senor. Si. All right. Si, senor. Are you going to take us out or what? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, si, that was senor. good. Is it? Anybody got any uh, other last-minute thoughts they want to add to that before we put a button on it? Yeah, don't right. be scared to touch any of this stuff because it's not going to crash your helicopter. So, yes. expo, rates, collective, within reason, don't go stupid. What else did we talk about? Pitch pump, style, whatever, lightness, all that stuff. Play with it. Turn it up. As long as you're playing within, like, 50 points, uh, you're really not going to have a huge, huge difference. You know, if you if you turn your gain down to like zero, that's when you're going to start having issues and possibly crash it or too high and it'll start to oscillate. But this specific stuff that we're talking about, it's all about feel and preference. So go play with it. Write down where you start. Start messing numbers up. See what you think. But I do recommend doing one at a time because if you do like three different things, you have no idea what one made it feel good and what one made it not feel good. Yeah, good yeah. tip for sure. No, it's a great tip. Yeah, I, I think I got that from you a long time ago, Scott, actually, and then I've done that where I run it up in one direction, and if it gets worse, I go back to where I was, and then I start running the other direction, and that's just how you learn what all the things do, honestly. Exactly. Uh, that's how I learned it. it. And then yeah. you got to do the same thing, but a year later, maybe, because where you are early in your journey in the hobby, you may not understand quite as much what that difference was than, you know, oh, with a lot more flight time under your belt. Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say when you're flying, if you notice that the helicopter flies relatively smooth, like it's set up okay, but you notice when you do certain things, it wiggles or it blows out or it doesn't do exactly what you want. Now you're at the skill level where you want to start playing with stuff like that. Like you're, you're good enough that you can see the change in what you do, um, you know, but you're not wasting your time kind of thing. I feel like if you've just started within a month or two, like you're still chasing the helicopter with inputs, you know? You're not like really ahead of the helicopter when you're flying. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it totally, totally does. Because you can get yourself yeah. lost in this maelstrom of settings in, as a newbie. And really the, the problem is you just haven't figured out how to, where to anticipate moving your fingers yet. And once you get to there and once you know you're, you're flying the heli rather than chasing it, like you're saying, Scott, that's when you can kind of dig in and start, start changing some of those other things, you know. From yeah. a generic it, sense, you maybe just start, you know, if you're a new person and you get your heli set up, you know, just add yourself up, you know, um, not a huge amount, but just some expo just to make it easy on yourself in the middle. You know what I'm saying? But um, kind of what, I'm, what I, you actually touched on what I was really worried about is what you talked about kind of newbies playing around in here. It's I've seen it a bunch of times where someone flies a helicopter for, you know, really early on or it's it's, you know, the first couple months of flying. And it's hard. You can't keep it in one place. You, maybe you're shaking. 
and you start to look at tuning to make it better when in actuality it's you need more stick time you need more experience flying to make it better but these guys will start playing with uh rates they'll drop it way down to make it more quote controllable and slower and then they'll rack their expo up to like 50 or 60 or something ridiculous just so that way like their bad inputs don't make it into the helicopter but they're they're hindering their learning so much because now the helicopter doesn't fly at all as well as it should you know you have to put all this input in to get it to do what you want to do and now your your cyclic stick is just all over the map you never really learn that delicate input thing as far as flying a helicopter the right way so that's kind of why i i always say you know try and run box settings if you're new have someone you know experienced kind of set it up not for full-on 3d but you know make sure it flies like a normal helicopter should um and then just learn that get used to that and then once you get to that point where you're flying it around comfortably and you start to notice these little things you don't like, now start to tune and start to tweak. Yes, sir. Hell Jesus. Hell, yep, well hell Jesus. <laughs> no, that's a great point to end on, honestly. But if you have any tuning questions or, you know, rates or other questions, feel free to shoot them our way. And uh, I'm going to tell you how to go ahead and do that. So if you want to hit up Dan, you can grab him at uh, dan at rchnv3.com. You can find me at uh, nickwisdom at rchnv3.com. And uh, Scott, what about you? You can contact me on Facebook, Scott Graham, or you can contact me at scott at rchnv3.com. Or if you have my cell phone number, you can text me, which is probably the best way. No, I don't give that out. If you have it, cool. If you don't, Get to know me. I'm going to text you. <laughs> you always text me. I don't want any more of those <laughs> pictures, Devin. Oh, my bad. You don't like my toes? What about you, Devin? If uh, we wanted to text you a picture of Scott's toes, how would we do that? You can send it to uh, Nick Wisdom RC. Um, he'll love the toe pictures. Now, if you want to get in contact with me, uh, you could do Devin McClellan on Facebook. Or you could do Devin at rchnv3.com. All right. And uh, Rob, what about you? Um, well, um, if you want to get a hold of me, you will need to practice your ninja skills and get a ninja outfit. And a sh uh, Well, you don't need a Sharpie this time, um, but bring some wipies for when you're done. So what you want to do is you want to dress up like a ninja. And uh, in the middle of the night, while Scott is sleeping, you want to sneak into his heli dungeon and um, find all of that, those parts and pieces that uh, he had left out with his kids and um, any, of the, any of the leftover grease and screws and stuff that you find, make an impressionist art piece that represents the problem that you're having with your helicopter. And then um, when Scott wakes up in the morning, um, he can uh, try to interpret that impressionist art piece and then maybe have his kid disassemble that so he can rebuild a helicopter. And then if he's not too upset about that, he'll tell me what the question was and I'll, I'll, I'll respond. Um, but if you aren't sure if you can pull off the ninja skills thing or you um, have a phobia of impressionist art and you don't want to participate, that's okay. Just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Uh, hit me up on Facebook, NextGenRCFB, um, Instagram at NextGenRC, or youtube.com slash NextGenRC. All right, this has been episode 35, Rates and Expo, etc. 
Uh, I just want to say on a serious note, you know, Dan's certainly battling through some some complications related to his surgery. Uh, that's what's keeping him from returning uh, to the podcast. I know he'd love to get back, but uh, keep him in your thoughts this week. Hopefully they're making some progress on figuring out what's going on. So send some good positive uh, healing energy Dan's way, and uh, hopefully he'll be back with us uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, and with that, uh, thanks for the great discussion. Thanks for uh, driving that discussion, Rob. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Devin, enough with the feet picks. Yeah, you didn't like that one? I even had no. socks on. No, clean out your toes. Fuck. How'd you know they were black between them? <laughs> I'm working on your nitros with your feet. Dude, I can do magical <laughs> things with my feet. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, uh, maybe? Maybe?